Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. As usual, I'm Alexis Yunus here with Nick Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson. It is Sunday, so you know we've got a full reaction to all the madness that went down at Mugello. If you thought Monza was a madness, trust me, Mugello basically said, you know what? Hold my beer. So we're going to react to everything that probably could have, should have, and would have happened. And all the fireworks that we literally did see, for better or for worse, I suppose let's pay off first the results that exactly happened. Lewis Hamilton once again taking all the spoils. And I know that sounds like same old, same old, routine race, routine day. But trust me, it was far from that. Valtteri Bottas in a, fa- in a familiar second place. And then Alex Albon, that's where the story is. He finally came up trumps. We've been definitely a bit hard on him. And I suppose rightfully so over the last couple of weeks. But he finally came up trumps and became the first high driver to get that podium just a week after Pierre Gasly got a very, very interesting win. So that sort of opens up the conversation a bit more. We'll get to that. But first, Lawrence, let me start with you because I spoke to Nate shortly after the race. And I just said that, goodness me, I feel like it felt like everything that could have happened just happened. I mean, we lost a couple of cars before we even got a full lap in. And then, you know, Lewis Hamilton said it. It felt like three races in one. It was mentally tough. So would you put that down to just the fact that maybe they weren't familiar with having a Grand Prix there at Mugello? I think that was part of it. And the other part of it is it's a circuit that really bites back when you make a mistake. So if you end up having contact with another car or you make a mistake or you have a failure you're in the gravel and if you're in the gravel it's actually quite hard to get the car back out so there were all these stoppages and safety cars and stuff because um when you're on a circuit like that you can't risk having the cars going around at full speed while you're trying to recover it so that was the nature of it and it was very much stop start but it was great and i think there were real concerns going into this weekend that Mugello would be rubbish for racing uh, there's only really one overtaking point at turn one and you know it, there's too many fast corners and the cars won't be able to follow each other we did see elements of that but actually that turn one turned out to be a brilliant place to overtake and above all else because you had not only is it a fast corner relative uh, to most overtaking places in Formula One but you had two lines through that corner so it's almost like NASCAR they could go either the high line or the low line there were advantages disadvantages to both and then that battle continued up through turns two and three and uh, and that's where we saw it all go wrong right from the start was um, Max Verstappen got collected uh, when Kimi Raikkonen and Pierre Gasly and Roman Grosjean all kind of came together, three cars, remember these cars are two metres wide, trying to go in together into turn two. They had that collision and then that kicked it off. And from there, we never really looked back. It was just action, more action, bit of a rest, everyone catch their breath and then more action. So yeah, it's great to watch. It was really hard to catch our breath. Nate, now that you've had a little more time to, I suppose, let everything settle, um, have you have you finally kind of made a bit more sense of the madness that we saw today? To be honest, I've made I've not made as much sense of it uh, as Lawrence clearly has. I think nobody ever Daniel- will. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to start this podcast by, you know, overegging my <laughs> uh, my abilities. But it was interesting. It was interesting in Ricardo's post-race session because he said that one of the cool things about coming to a new circuit and Lawrence kind of alluded to it with turn 1 is there's new uh racing lines to pick, you know, there's different things. They're still learning this circuit as they get to Sunday, which isn't always the case when we've been to these other places and yeah, I think obviously we'll we'll probably talk about what happened at the the first uh, restart. Uh, I don't think that was circuit specific. That was obviously, it seems like that was something that was maybe waiting to happen. But yeah, it just seemed that everything, everything when we've gone racing in Italy seems to be like building up to these, these race stoppages and these, you know, these, these standing restarts, which do seem to add some, you know, an element of drama into these races because it kind of 
yeah, there was a lot of talk about whether this was a good idea, having a standing restart after a red flag or not. And I think the three we've had so far, I th I'd say the the evidence is that they've, they've they've worked pretty well. So so that's good. Perfect. Well, I suppose um, let's just get right into the results then, guys, because I'm trying to make sense of all the instances we happen. Again, I just say let's just pay things off at the top against Lawrence. I'll start with you in this one in terms of um, it was supposed to be a, it was an historic weekend for Ferrari, 1000 um, Grand Prix for them. So, of course, a couple of eyes were were on them, but we're not going to talk about Ferrari just yet. Let's just talk about the man who did win it all. And that is Lewis Hamilton once again making history for himself, just chipping away at those numbers, getting that much closer to Michael Schumacher and probably even getting ready to surpass him in a number of stats. And and I know this is Lewis winning again. And I know, of course, Mercedes dominated as well from the starts and the restarts and all the races, the three-in-one races that we saw. But, you know, we, we talk about the fact that it was three-in-one races. It, it is mentally tough. It was a unfamiliar territory for them. So, um, is there just, again, something in there that was quite impressive from Lewis again, just to be able to get this done and, and seem seemingly unbothered in the fact that so much went wrong and so much could have gone wrong as well for him? Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, Mercedes got a bit lucky in that Max was taken out early in the race and it was clear there was a problem on that car. They, they had the engine cover off on the grid and then on the way down to turn one, you know, he made a perfect start. He was actually, looked like he was going to get past Lewis. Uh, of course, Lewis lost the position to Valtteri at the start and it looked like Max was going to get past too, but then all of a sudden his car started blinking at the back with the rain light and the whole thing kind of, you know, gave up on giving him any power. And before he knew it, he had two cars coming into the back of him. So Mercedes got a bit lucky because they reckon that given the gap they saw in qualifying and the kind of, uh, trend they've seen when they've had a gap in qualifying and what it then means for the race. Uh, Max Verstappen 0.3 second behind uh, on a qualifying lap means that he would have been in there in the mix with those two drivers. And if he'd been able to split them at the start and be ahead of Lewis Hamilton at the start, then it would have been a very different race. But didn't happen. Instead, uh, Valtteri took the lead. And then, of course, um, it was his restart. Uh, and he wasn't at blame for what happened at the restart. But his restart that kicked off everything behind and actually I felt a bit sorry for Valtteri there because he didn't do anything wrong I'm sure we'll go into it later the ins and outs of exactly what happened in that instant but he didn't do anything wrong yet the accident caused a red flag and then at the restart Valtteri lost um lost the position to Lewis at the start and then just never got it back and the problem was is that once they got up to racing speeds we did see some of the fears that we saw about you know we heard about Mugello that it'd be hard to overtake but to be honest we've seen that pretty much at every track when you've got two cars on, operating on the same level, two Mercedes going up against each other, it is so hard to overtake. So, um, yeah, and, and Lewis did the job. I don't think it was by any stretch a classic or vintage Lewis Hamilton performance. Throughout practice, Valtteri was the faster car. In qualifying, there's a pretty good argument to say that if Valtteri had completed the lap that he had to bail out of where Nesteban Ocon spun in front of him, then he would have been on pole position instead. So... Yeah, but, that, you know, that's a sign of a true champion as well, that the weekends when you're probably not performing at your best, and he admitted on Friday even that he still hadn't got his head around this track, are still weekends where he wins. So, yeah, I mean, what more can you say? That that was pretty impressive, and the Championship League gets extended, and we get a little bit closer to him knocking over those Schumacher records, which I think will happen fairly soon. Fairly soon, indeed. And, Nate, I mean, I'll come to you for this one, and I know that Lawrence kind of gave us a perfect segue there for our usual segment of 
Let's spare a thought for Valtteri Bottas, which we will, trust me, get into because I sense a Nate Saunders rant coming and we want to definitely tee up that rant. But um, Nate, just just thoughts on Lewis again. And, and like I said, because mentally it could have overthrown any other driver, but we do know that Lewis Hamilton is definitely not just any other driver. So impressive? Yeah, and Lewis, I mean, he's consistently impressive, isn't he? I mean, even even in Monza, yeah, when all of that stuff happened around him, he pretty much recovered that as well as you would have expected, given that he had to pit. I, you know, there was obviously the, the the mistake coming into the pit when it was shut, but to get back up to where he did, he drove really well. And you know, the race was kind of it it went away from him because of other circumstances. So, I think Lawrence is right. This seemed like a stronger Bottas weekend than we've seen, but Lewis just doesn't put a, put a foot wrong. It's why he's so difficult to beat. We were joking in the office. I've I think I mentioned it on the last pod. I kept writing like Lewis will beat Schumacher at Mugello, Ferrari's thousandth race. So then it was Ferrari uh, Hamilton will match Schumacher at Ferrari's thousandth race. So I was joking like, well, maybe we should do an article like, hey, ha- Hamilton's going to beat Schumacher at Ferrari's one thousand first race at Sochi, which is now what it looks like. But um, yeah, that that looks like it's going to happen sooner rather than later, like Lawrence said. And I don't think any of us are surprised at this point. I think the big question now when we're talking about Lewis is how many races is he going to have race wins is he going to have under his belt when he actually does retire because you know the rate he's going it could be you know you could be looking at like 110 you know that doesn't seem at all unreasonable so um yeah really pretty impressive what he's doing um but again it you know when when you talk about Lewis Hamilton winning a race again I think some of the maybe more casual you know people who aren't following it as closely it's harder to be impressed I suppose when it's just him winning every time but this you know this this actually felt like one where Maybe if he hadn't won, you'd have said, well, yeah, this was Bottas winning the race over him. Or like Lawrence said, if Max had been in the race, I think that that might have made things a lot different. So always, always really impressive. But um, yeah, you know, trying to trying to spin it in different ways is something we keep doing. Um, but uh, but yeah, he I, I guess now we've got to start guessing when he wins the championship. I haven't actually looked at the maths yet, but it's got to be it's got to be coming coming at us pretty, pretty fast. Coming at us very fast indeed. And again, it's always hard to talk about Lewis and his brilliance week in, week out without then asking the question, what could have Valtteri Bottas done more? And Lawrence, I know I had a chat about it with Nate. You just kind of um, said a little bit about it as well because he had such a brilliant start. And some would say, you know, that if it weren't for the constant stop, start, stop, start as well, that maybe he was unlucky. But then I feel like week in, week out, we always try to find moments that you know would say yeah he was unlucky here or this happened that's why and as Nate said at some point we just have to get to look at it as it is and say Valtteri has to either take these chances or make his own like for you how did you see it today like was he a bit unlucky or were there also moments that I felt as well he was given chances and probably just once again didn't take them as he should have I think he could have been more aggressive uh, at the first red flag restart where he started from pole position effectively and maybe um, we saw throughout the weekend all the support races the outside line around turn one was a very effective way of getting past uh, your opposition so maybe Valtteri should have thought a bit more about that uh, maybe given Lewis a little less space pushed him a little bit harder towards the edge of the track you can do that and stay within the regulations of what is allowed uh, whether he could do that and stay within Mercedes' good books is another question. But I think that's what you need to do if you're going up against Lewis. You know, you, you need to, you can't allow him just to drive around the outside of you like that. You know, it shouldn't shouldn't happen like that. 
And then you say, well, maybe Valtteri could have done the same to him at the uh, final red flag restart. And of course, we saw Valtteri get a particularly bad start. But I am going to kind of excuse him and anybody who was on that side of the grid for that. Because the problem with these restarts we're seeing is that um, by that point of the race, um, a lot of rubber from the tyres has literally been torn off and left deposited at the side of the track. And it only gets left deposited where the cars aren't running. So the natural line for the cars is down the right-hand side of that pit straight, which is why pole position is on that side. But on the left, you get all this junk and bits of rubber and stuff like, you know, around this. They're called marbles is what we kind of call them in Formula One parlance. But um, anyway, so they're all there. And there's no opportunity to clean the track before the racing gets back underway during the red flag. So you just have to deal with it. And uh, Valtteri got a particularly bad restart, um, dropped behind Ricardo as well and managed to get that position back. So, you know, it's it was unfortunate there were things that went wrong. Um, he did well at the start, you know, to get a good start. Lewis got a particularly bad start from the other side of the grid. So, you know, that blows my theory out of the water right there. But of course, that was at the start of the race before we had all the bits of rubber everywhere. So, yeah, it's it's just a case of um, pulling a, a weekend together and, uh, and getting it right. But Lewis is so consistent. And as Nate said, he'll offer you so little that um, you really have to be 100% the whole time and, and Valtteri seems like he can't do that. And Nate, I mean, I, I love how Lawrence describes it as Valtteri had a particularly bad start after the first red flag, but I have a text message from Nate that describes it in another way that I would love to read out, but this is a family-friendly show and I don't know if we can bleep out certain words. So Nate... <laughs> I have to ask you, because I know these little things do infuriate you, which is the kind of little rant that I said you have. And earlier on, I did ask you for our video hits, you know, who was even more underwhelming today? Ferrari, given the fact that this was such a epic weekend, historic weekend for them, and right in their backyards, or Valtteri, even though we've been talking about Valtteri kind of being a bit underwhelming over the last couple of weeks. And you still said for you, it is Valtteri bosses. So this is your chance to kind of just add on to that about why it... Why it frustrated you so much as well? Because you might as well be Valtteri Bottas himself the way you expressed your frustration. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's quite an underwhelming pair this year, isn't it? Ferrari and Valtteri. Um, it's hard to pick between the two. I think the reason Bottas wins it is because he'd got into the lead. You know, we keep talking about when's he going to have this opportunity to beat Lewis? And that was his moment today. You know, in Monza, he didn't really have it from the beginning. A lot of races, he's just fallen away from Lewis early on. But this one felt like it was in his grasp and... You know, like somebody somebody tweeted me the other day because I said, you know, put, like crash with Lewis if you have to. And someone was like, I can't believe you're endorsing one driver crashing into another one. That's not what I was saying. What I was saying was you've got to put your car in a position where if Lewis wants to get past you, he's got to put his car. He's got to either do something insane with his car to get past you or he's got to yield. You know, Max does that all the time. You know, Lewis does it. You know, it, 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 it happens. And too often we see Bottas kind of not really fighting. I don't I think I do agree with Lawrence on this. You know, when you actually see it again, it was. And we saw Albon later in the race passing, um, passing Ricardo there. So I don't know, just um, just hard to get excited really about about Bottas. Um, you know, I think he, yeah, I think he's just <laughs> he just needs a complete reset. Nate's been broken. Oh yeah, no! Yeah, well, like the last the last thing Bottas needs Valtteri, is, you is broke like, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> I think these triple headers are just killing him as well because you know the races don't get any better for him, and then he's just you know it just gets worse and worse. It like snowballs out of you know just keep snowballing worse so we've got what well, we've got three more to come so i don't think it's going to get any better for him um but yeah i mean i i feel like i feel like i'm covering old ground with bottas but 
there's not really much more to be said. He's just not doing very well. Plain and simple, Lawrence. Is that how you're feeling? Has has Valtteri broken you too? Because he's definitely broken Nate. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess the, that's the issue with this championship, isn't it? It's a two-horse race. Has been really since day one. Max gave a good showing early on, but you know he's massively fallen out of contention now as well. So that that's why it's frustrating. But you know, uh, is the way it is, and um, yeah. Hopefully, Valtteri can build some momentum towards the end of the year. He can take into next season because that's crucial to what Nico Rosberg did when he beat Lewis at the end of 2015. He strung together a bunch of good results when Lewis was slightly napping, and then he kept it going into 2016. So uh, that's all, all I can say and all I can hope for from from Valtteri towards the end of the year. Yeah, the Rosberg thing. I can't see Bottas doing that because it would involve him actually winning two races back to back at least, and we haven't. I don't think there's been much evidence he could do that. Whereas with Rosberg. He'd always been at a level where he could fight with Hamilton, which I think is the disappointing thing with him. Um, and we'll get on to George Russell, I suppose, later. But I said to Lawrence during the weekend, like, the worse this gets for Bottas, the more frustrating it is that Russell isn't going to be at Mercedes next year. I, you know, totally understand why Mercedes don't don't want to do that early, but that would be that would be great. You know, Russell clearly deserves an opportunity like that, and um, he's not he's not going to get it for another year. Um, and you know. I wonder if he'd do it as as good a job. If he if he even if he didn't, it would be exciting to see him given that chance because we know Bottas isn't going to win the title, but we don't know whether Russell is or isn't going to win the title in that car. So, yeah, that adds to the frustration, doesn't it? Definitely adds to the frustration. And somebody that's um, been under frustration for quite some time right now is Alex Albon. But today, all of that changed, and the timing of it could not have been more perfect considering that a week ago at this exact time we were talking about Pierre Gasly winning at Monza and how everyone was ready to get rid of Alex Albon at Red Bull and bring back Gasly and probably thinking that Albon needed to go you know one step back get his thought process back on a different track get just kind of recuperate and start from stage one again but here he is on the podium first high driver to get a podium in Formula One Brilliant stuff there, making history. But Lawrence, just how much did Alex need this result today? And again, how fabulously convenient was the timing of it? Hey, well, in my pre-race prediction, I had Alex down to win. Here we go. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I I, I never stop believing. I never stop believing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it it was... good for Alex to get the podium and congratulations to him and I, I think that's wonderful and everything but if you look at his race you know he lost a lot of positions at the start he didn't make it easy and as I said before I think had Max been in that race then Mercedes would have been uh, kind of looking over their shoulders an awful lot or perhaps looking ahead of them because uh, yeah because of the good start that he initially got before it went bad so um I, I think it's great for Alex and hopefully this will help build his confidence and um, that's exactly what he needs and uh, Red Bull despite the Gasly win uh, in Monza and despite Alex's problems early in the year even going into this weekend before the podium were saying look Alex is our man you know we intend to stick with him intend always being the word which you kind of pick up on because it doesn't mean they'll definitely do it they haven't said anything officially yet but they do intend to continue that way and they want to give him a chance. So if he can build on this now, um, regardless of how the podium came about and perhaps, you know, some of some of the little mistakes on the way, then uh, then that's great. I, I think the real good thing about Alex and the thing that hasn't changed about Alex throughout this year, and uh, and we saw it last year as well, is how feisty he is when, you know, he needs to overtake. And he uh, pulled a fantastic move on Ricardo around the outside, which really kind of, 
showed aggression, uh, balance, poise, you know, everything you need. Uh, it was very it. Danny Ricardo-esque, wasn't it? It was Ricardo-esque, it was. And it was funny as well hearing Simon Rennie on the team radio, who used to be Ricardo's engineer when he was at Red Bull, <laughs> kind of egging Albon along and getting him in the mood to do it and then to take on Ricardo. So I think Simon Rennie probably quite enjoyed that as well. Um, but we, we, we certainly did watching it. So that's, that, that's all positive stuff. Um, but that side has never really been lacking from Alex's performance. It's always been the qualifying pace and a little bit of the race pace. And he got a little bit lucky in qualifying because he was still a long way off the stop. And I don't have the stat to hand, but it was multiple temps. And it was just because there was a big gap between Mercedes, the stop and, and the rest that he slotted into fourth. Um, and then, of course, it went a bit wrong at the start and he came back. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's a good result for him. But, I, you know, it wasn't perfect. Let's put it that way. Nate, what about you? What do you think? Did we learn or see anything um, about Alex Albon today that could suggest that this could be used as a, a turning point and a turning point that he probably needs, at least for the rest of this season? Yeah, it, as Lawrence said, the overtake was really good. Um, but what was interesting after that, and again, to quote what Ricardo said, in those laps that followed, he was kind of, he said he was, he was like, okay, I think the word he, the way he said it was, he was like, all right, this kid's not had a podium yet. So let's put him under pressure and see if he cracks under the situation he's in. Um, you know, and, and, and Albon didn't do that. So I think that it does it, it shows that the, the talent is there, that you know, he has that poise, that composure um, to do these things. And I don't know, I mean, Red Bull have been saying this consistently, that they love the way Albon goes racing, and I think he proved that. Um, it was nice, his radio message afterwards, saying, you yeah, know, thanks for sticking with me. And um, yeah, it, I, I guess it vindicates a little bit what they've done this year, but also... I, th I think in a straight fight with Verstappen, I think he would have been a long way behind. So there's still things that he needs to work on. But I wonder how much that lack of a podium was just getting in his, you know, was just on his mind and bothering him. Because it must do. You know, we, we spoke about how much it used to bother Nico Hulkenberg, that constant question about that podium. Getting it out of your way, I think you're just like, right, I've done it. And then you don't have to keep asking that same question. You've done it once. And, and it's not like you're chasing this elusive thing. You've had it once and you're, you know, you're going after a second one. So I think that, I think that will help him in the long run. And, um, yeah, it's just nice because I think he said he said to Sky Sports afterwards, he was like, I was having Lewis flashbacks. You know, we all saw those those Lewis Hamilton crashes earlier in the year and they must have been driving him mad just thinking about them. So the fact that he's made made up a bit for those two incidents, Brazil and uh, Austria this year, um, has kind of helped things a bit. And Lawrence, you did say that, you know, it was um, far from perfect from Alex Albon still. And one of the things that I think has been far from perfect from him is, of course, how how he starts races and, you know, at, at least giving himself a good shot very much just from the start. And I know that they spoke to Christian Horner afterwards and, and asked whether it's, you know, more mentally speaking, a little more up here, or is it something to do with the car? Um, Horner kind of suggested that it is probably something to do with the car and, and with Honda and that they might need to revisit and check it. But what do you, what do you think um, on that? Is it, is it probably for the car or is it a little more some work that Alex might need to do? Well, starts are incredibly complicated and, of course, incredibly important. You know, you can do a, the best qualifying lap ever on a circuit and you can lose it all in those few seconds away from the start line. Um, I, I don't know the details, to be honest. Uh, Christian didn't talk to us after the race. He did talk to TV, but he didn't talk to Risa Media, so we didn't really get an answer. But um, I, I, I don't know what the issue is, um, but it is, it is very, very complicated. It can be down to driver, but I don't think it's a psychological thing so much uh, with a driver you know I think that's more of a general thing I don't, I'm not sure it particularly impacts the starts alone uh, you know I, I think they've all done race starts enough that they 
while they probably have a heightened heart rate, they aren't nervous on the grid in those positions. Um, so I, I think it's probably more just down to uh, optimising the way the engine feeds the powering, the, the clutch movement, that's so important. You see, if you watch Lewis Hamilton's on board when he starts, he puts his hand on top of the steering wheel because there's a position there which he likes with the clutch that allows him to release it in a certain way. So all the drivers have different ways of, of doing it. And I know that uh, some drivers practice it again and again and again during a race weekend. Obviously, they can't do it in the car. Well, they can do it in the car. They do it during practice. But even away from the car, there's certain drivers who have rigs set up in their rooms to make sure that they can uh, nail uh, a start and they know exactly what the procedures are. And it's that level of detail uh, that helped. No idea if Albon's one of those drivers. Maybe he is. You know, I don't want to talk him down in that regard. But, um, yeah, it's just uh, very small little things that you have to get sorted. And that's, that's the nature of Formula 1 as a whole, really. And then talking best of the rest now, like we said, uh, when it came this close to the podium, we did see a nice little battle between um, Danny Ricciardo and Alex Albon. Of course, we know now that Alex Albon was the one who prevailed. But um, Danny Ricciardo... Nate, he said that there's he did all he could. There's just he knew that if it were going to be his car up against the Red Bull car, we knew that the Red Bull car was definitely going to be the better one there. But still, good decent day for Danny Ricardo. How did you see it? Decent day for Danny Ricardo. Better day for Cyril Beatball because he didn't have to get that tattoo. <laughs> um, I he mean, was fretting. He was sweating for a bit because yeah. we were thinking, yes, Danny, go on, get that yeah. podium. I mean, you know, I think you know. Joking aside, I think people obviously would have happily taken a tattoo in that situation. Um, yeah, I, I think that Renault probably, if if this race had gone normally, they probably wouldn't have been close to that. So probably, you know, in the cold light of day, when they look at it tomorrow, they'll be happy with fourth. Uh, Ricardo was doing so well. I mean, Twitter was like going crazy for the for the, the idea of a tattoo. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I think he did well. Um, Ricardo's Ricardo's driving really well at the moment. I think he's really really showing Ocon up a bit a bit, and um, you know. Obviously, they've got Alonso coming in, but McLaren must be looking at this, thinking like, you know, it's pretty exciting that they're putting that guy in a in a in a car that's also fairly competitive from time to time. And um, Lawrence, as Nate just said, Danny Ricciardo has definitely been driving uh, very well, and I guess from what we've learned from the last couple of weeks um, that we have been seeing, you know, decent day for Danny Ricciardo. He's been this much closer, that much closer to a podium finish. Um, should Big Cyril be any? more scared about any of the other tracks that may suit him that he might have to you know have a tattoo artist on speed dial basically are we this much closer to seeing Danny Rick on a podium yeah I think I think we really are um you know we still need a bit of a freak result uh for it to happen because we always see Mercedes occupying two of those places on the podium and Red Bull usually takes the other so you need something to happen that, that mixes that up slightly it's not easy for a car outside um those teams to to get on the podium but uh, Ricardo is increasingly looking like a driver who can do it. And Rebel have, sorry, Renault have made obvious progress with their car. And um, it kind of suits uh, circuits with um, long straights, which had in Mugello. But um, actually, usually it's, it suits slow corners. So actually, they, they did very well to, to, to put a package together that worked so well in the race. And I think, um, you know, to beat uh, the racing points, OK, Stroll, who was the higher place racing point, had that failure and, and, and crashed. But um, yeah, for Ricardo to be up there was was a decent achievement. And I think that shows how much Renault have come on during this year, uh, the progress that they're starting to make. They had some big changes to their technical department over the winter. And these things take time to be realised on track. And I think that's starting to come together. 
And so um, the other person who will be looking at this and feeling quite happy about it is Fernando Alonso, because of course he's going to that team next year. It's going to change the name to Alpine, but he's going to be at that team. And uh, I bet he's looking at it thinking, you know what, you know, I could have a car that's, that's in the mix for podiums. And if there's one driver who's going to wrestle a podium out of a car, um, it's still Fernando Alonso, I think. When Danny Ricardo does eventually get that podium, I'm calling up my tattoo artist here in London and we're all going to go and have an absolute Danny Ricardo party because that will make my day. <laughs> Nate, I have to come to you because one thing that would have definitely made your day was um, your prediction of having Charles Leclerc at least get a, a podium finish because for the second week in a row in the maddest of mad races that we've seen in Italy, Lawrence has been the one calling it that much closer from his Pierre Gasly prediction and now it's his Alex Albon one. You definitely stuck your neck out and went for a, a Charles Leclerc one, which I wanted to believe in too. Just the romance of the weekend and the fact that it was right in Ferrari's backyard and... and Charles Leclerc, let's be honest, is absolutely talented. So if it was anyone that was going to drag that Ferrari car, it was definitely going to be him. Um, but I guess uh, maybe, I feel like maybe Ferrari should be happy with where they finished, considering they both finished in the points and we know how bad things could have gone for them if everyone else was still in it. So is that kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I, I, my bold prediction really was wrong this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know... Uh, I kind of got carried away by the nostalgia of the occasion, I suppose, and Ferrari a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, I think it was clear very early on that Ferrari didn't have anywhere near the pace they needed. And, you know, at the end, they were fighting Williams, you know, fighting George Russell's Williams on merit at the end. Um, you know, Vettel even, if you want to see how, just how slow he was today, he was saying that he felt bad denying George Russell's first F1 points. Cause he was like, look, you know, the Williams were just quicker than us today, which... If you'd, if you'd written that quote down at the start of the season and said that's Sebastian Vettel saying that in one of the Ferraris at their, you know, at a circuit that they own, you know, that they've tested at before and all this stuff, you just thought, what? That doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I, I, I was obviously optimistic and that's part of the fun of that segment, isn't it? But just, you know, before people start thinking I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about, which is, <laughs> which is, which is fair, but, you know, I want to at least um, Nonsense. defend myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it it was weird because it was Ferrari's thousandth race and there were a lot of things before the race about them, but to me it just didn't it didn't feel that special. I think if fans had been there, that occasion would have felt better. Um, I I implore anyone to go and Google or, 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 or like find on Twitter the images of Ferrari's celebration uh, in, on Saturday evening because there's so many different musical tracks that have been put to it and all these weird dancing. And, um, I sent one to Lawrence. It's one of, the weird, think... one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And it kind of nicely summed up their year because you just looked at it and was like, what, what is this? And who, who signed it off? And how can I stop watching? But you're like morbidly fascinated to keep watching because it's so bad and it keeps getting worse. So... It was brilliant because I think I saw it in Charles Leclerc's story, but he had just put a little excerpt of like what was, I think, a woman just cascading down the walls that it was just it was one of the weirdest things I've seen and I sent it to Lawrence on Instagram and I said I hope to be this dramatic in any entrance that I make so next time I come to the office that's gonna be me cascading down Ferrari stuff but Lawrence as Nate just said what did you think of Ferrari today should they be a little thankful considering where they finished knowing that you know at least half of the grid kind of got wiped out unfortunately for them what did you think? Well, Leclerc gave it a very good go, didn't he? I mean, he qualified the car fifth, which was far higher than it deserved to be and was partly because of that Ocon accident in qualifying as well that allowed 
meant certain drivers couldn't complete their lap. So there was that achievement on the board already. And then in the race, he got up as high as third. It looked like Nate's prediction could come true and then dropped back. And it was, um, it was funny, actually, because they clearly changed their strategy um, to go... Uh, I don't know how many stops they were planning to do without the uh, red flags, but it looked like a lot. And it was almost like um, they were witnessing a slow death of the clerk's race. And instead, they just opted for the instant death, which was to pit him way too early. He came out at the back, did 13 laps on hards, and then they pitted him again for mediums. And that didn't make sense at that stage in the race. It all got kind of smoothed over by the um, by the red flags, because then you can put whatever tyres you want on it. But um, I haven't gone back and looked at Leclerc's exact race strategy, but it looked like an absolute mess. And um, But that's the situation Ferrari find them in. There's a reason they were doing that. It's because all their projections would have been saying, look, you're only going to drop way down the positions anyway. You're just going to lose position after position. So let's take a punt on something and hope that the race goes goes their way. And it kind of did. Like They actually got some of the stoppages more or less when they probably wanted them from a strategy point of view. But again, the car was just lacking that pace. You know, It really was. And um, Kimi Raikkonen got ahead of Vettel at the end. There was a slight quirk there again of a red flag restart where the lapped cars were allowed to go out first uh, to get that lap back on the board by themselves but that actually helped in them getting their tyre temperature up so actually Raikkonen and Grosjean made amazing restarts because their tyres were up to temperature and everybody else was dealing with lower temperature tyres which was an interesting thing as well about these red flag uh, standing restarts that are fairly new to F1. Um, anyway and then yeah you know they, they finished in pretty uh, you know, they finished a long way down the order in 8th and 10th, and, and that was it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's where the Ferrari car is right now. Uh, again, we suspected this wouldn't be a track that suited them. Uh, it wasn't. Um, yeah, and it's hard to really look at the rest of the tracks and pick out one that's going to be going to be good. But, you know, it wasn't quite as bad as Spa and Monza, and I, I guess I guess there's that. But, yeah, you know, we, we, we know when we've talked at length the reasons why Ferrari in the position they're in. And, uh, yeah, they're just going to have to deal with that until the end of the year because it's not really going to change until they can get stuck into that power unit and get some more power out of it for next year. Right, and I, I suppose before we start to uh, wrap things up, I never thought I'd have to spare a thought for George Russell, but let's spare a thought for George Russell. I love me some George Russell all day, every day. And Nate kind of hinted that we definitely wanted to talk to him because, Nate, he constantly starts flirting with, I suppose, greatness given what he's been given to work with and I mean he said it today he drove his heart out and, and it is heartbreaking to still finish just outside the points but again he see, he keeps showing you know I suppose week in week out just how much of a talent he is which makes me almost want to ask please is there at least a silver lining in the near future and by near future I mean this season yeah hopefully he gets it because he has been close but I mean he's he's so impressive I mean he's he's absolutely blowing Latifi out of the water um, and really that's I think it's a completely one-sided qualifying record he has against both Latifi and Kubica he's not been out qualified in Formula 1 and um, you know his pace on Sundays is there so it's he, he, he said that the, the, the second red flag and the restart there just ruined his chance of he was ninth when that restart took place I think he just had a bad getaway was 11th and just couldn't get close enough to Vettel at the end so Deserved it, but again, you know, in his situation, because he's not expected to score points, the fact he's so close to that is actually almost as impressive, you know, because we're talking about this guy who's not actually scored a championship point yet, and yet he's impressing everyone. I'd say he's still one of the top drivers of this season for me, just because he's constantly taking that car to places you don't think it should be. So, 
yeah, he'll get it eventually. And um, I don't feel too sorry for him. You know, he, he was driving an F1 car around a super circuit all day. So um, he's got one of the, you know, he's got one, he's still got one of the best jobs in the world. Like, you know, I, and, and he'll get there. You know, he's still on the Mercedes books. So, um, yeah. And Vettel said that himself. He's like, look, he'll get it eventually. And when you're getting that kind of praise from a full-time world champion and you're not, you haven't scored a point yet, you know you're doing something right. Lawrence, how you see it too, constantly um, being impressed by George Russell, but and I suppose it's just a matter of time, hopefully this season, before at least that one point comes? Yeah, to go back to that qualifying stat, it's 30 races in a row where, and it's his only 30 races in F1, where he's out-qualified his teammate. And this weekend, he did it despite putting two wheels in the gravel at turn seven, which in normal circumstances should have ruined his lap, it should have ruined his tyres, it should have ruined the floor of the car. And yet he still managed to wrestle it around the rest of the lap, which was about half of the way to go, half the distance left, and still finished ahead of Latifi uh, in qualifying, which was a remarkable feat. And then, yeah, he was racing so well, but that's the problem with these, um, with these red flags, isn't it? As much as they can create drama and unpredictable results, they can also stamp on uh, kind of, you know, some of the little underdog stories that are going on around and about and Russell's was one of those but yeah he's he's a super talented driver um we know he's at Williams for another year next year uh, I think in that time points will come but I think even if they don't if he continues to perform on this level where it's so clear I mean that you know that qualifying lap on Saturday raised the eyebrows of a number of people and kind of got you know a fair bit of love on social media and stuff so despite being at the back of the grid despite never scoring a point in Formula One he's still being recognized for the talent he is and I think, you know, that will continue. I don't see any reason why you should get worse. And in fact, it's not always a bad thing to be towards the back of the grid, learning your trade, uh, getting some mistakes out of the way. You know, some things which would be very embarrassing if you did them at the front of the field. It doesn't really matter if they happen at the back of the field because often they don't even get picked up by cameras. So um, I, I think he's a great driver. I think he's got a massive, massive future ahead of him. Uh, and I suspect part of that will involve Mercedes as well. So, yeah, I, I don't feel sorry for him at all. <laughs> don't feel sorry for him at all alright well I think that's pretty much done it's been a quite a hectic long day I know Nate's got a story to finish Lawrence has got to get home this man just puts in the extra hours for us but before we go gents any um, I know you went to a couple of press conferences virtually but um, anything stood out to you before we wrap up and just get your final thoughts well, an interesting one for me was um, the safety car restart so the one that went horribly wrong uh, it was interesting to try and find out where the blame was, whose fault was it? And we heard Grosjean on the radio kind of point the finger at Bottas, um, but clearly Bottas acted within what he was allowed to do. And in the end, the stewards looked at it and they decided 12 drivers uh, should receive warning for their conduct, which was basically accelerating, braking, trying to get an advantage. But the reality of all this was that it happened because of the nature of the Mugello circuit uh, and also when the safety car decided, or when the safety car signaled to Bottas that it was coming in. And because there's that long straight, if Bottas had just gone straight away, all the cars behind him would have got a massive slipstream and he probably would have lost the place into the first corner, which obviously he didn't want to do. And he didn't do with the way he dealt with it. So instead he waited to the very last minute and then all these cars kind of came piling into uh, the kind of backed up pack that Bottas had made in front. So there's a few theories on, on, on what went wrong and I'm putting together a piece on it, which will go up tomorrow morning. Um, and there's a few theories about what went wrong, but the main one seems to lie actually a little bit with the FIA and when they decided to turn those lights off the safety car because they left it much later than they used to in the past. Uh, the FIA deny this and they say, no, uh, you know, 
that you've got to look at the driver's standards for all that but you know there was an understandable reason why those drivers at the back were trying to push you got to remember they're all trying to race each other and if there's a way that the FI can make this whole situation safer then they should but they say that it was perfectly safe and it was the driver's fault so there's a bit of a Barney going on there behind behind closed doors I'm sure it'll all peter out by the time we get to Sochi but it was an interesting one to analyze so we're doing a bit of that uh, by tomorrow um, and uh, yeah, a few different kind of opinions on, on who was to blame for four cars getting wiped out and a 20 minute red flag period to clear it up. It was absolutely crazy. I know I messaged Nate, um, I think on WhatsApp right after that happened, kind of trying to pick your brain too, Nate, and, and get your thoughts about whose fault did you think it was? Because we knew, I did say, obviously I saw what Valtteri did, but he was well within his rights to do that. So, and then when you think of, um, obviously with the safety car and the lights going off at the last moment nothing was outright illegal so it was almost like how has this not happened this badly before um so what was your thoughts about uh, i guess it all and, and where you probably placed the blame yeah i mean in terms of it not happening before um i think it's it's good that the first one was a kind of serious crash but not with, you know, with nobody getting injured because it looked bad enough that you have to respond to that and be like well, how did this happen and can we stop it again? Like Lawrence said, was it down to the circuit? What was it down to, uh, etc. So we've seen this, you know, the further back you are on these restarts, the harder it is. It's always so difficult to gauge the speed of a car in front of you when you're, you know, when you're approaching it. And, um, you know, especially when you've got cars weaving and you, you, you're looking in your mirrors, you're doing all these things before the race. So I think it's inevitable at some point it will happen. Um, but yeah, I, 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 my main feeling was that F1 kind of got away with one today because that could have been really bad. I think Sainz said if one of those cars ahead of him had been turned sideways, obviously we don't need to be reminded what happened with Antoine Hubert last year when that happened. And those cars were going at fast, you know, if some, some of the cars were at racing speed, some of them were still following the pace of the guys in front. So it really could have been nasty. Um, and yeah, as Lawrence said, I mean, there'll be a good piece coming tomorrow on kind of exactly how that all unfolded. Um, but those things Formula One's very good at usually learning from and applying the safety lessons to. So, um, yeah, it, it, it looked, it looked awful. And to start with, I was, I was worried that, you know, something serious could have happened, but, um, yeah, fortunately they all walked away and we can talk about it now without, you know, without anything more than just a bad accident happening on the track. Yes, indeed. Well, overall guys, um, how much are we giving Magella? I know we weren't there physically we were there virtually though but it i mean with all the events that it threw up today i know they asked a couple of the drivers if they'd like to see it um, on the race calendar come next year and a couple of them i think all of them that at least i saw being asked right after the race said yes so what do you guys are thinking yes should we go Mugello next year i uh, i think it would be great and if money wasn't an issue we'd be there i mean there's a chance that if um travel restrictions are still in place to move outside of Europe at the start of next year, they'll look to European venues uh, to answer the calendar early on. Um, so perhaps Mugello could be one of those. Um, I think the race it provided was fantastic. Um, any concerns there were about uh, lack of overtaking, well, it was difficult to overtake, but you could do it. It's, it was possible. And of course, the cars are meant to be getting easier, uh, you know, to, to race as we go longer into the future. And, um, it just, it just is a brilliant, brilliant circuit. You know, it's like Suzuka. It's one of those circuits that the drivers love uh, because it's fast corner after fast corner. And as I said at the start of the podcast, it punishes you if you make mistakes. We get so fed up. And I think a lot of these races are so boring because there's no consequence to mistakes. There's no con consequence to errors. And uh, when you have that there, it adds an extra element to it. It adds a sense of jeopardy to the whole thing. And as long as it's safe, 
And of course, you know, the FIA checks all tracks to make sure they're up to the right safety standards. And to be fair to Mugello, there was nothing obvious that was wrong. You know, Stroll had a huge accident, massive accident, the fastest corner on the uh, circuit pretty much. And he walked away from it. So um, I think it's safe enough, but I think it also punishes mistakes. And uh, that's exactly what we want from races in Formula One. So hopefully F1 will find a way. Uh, I don't know quite how they're going to do it because I don't think Michelle or Ferrari want to put up the money to do it every year. But they'll find a way to, to put it on the calendar uh, because it was it was brilliant. And it also looks like a lovely place to go. So I'd like to go there next year as well. Nate? Yeah, I agree. Um, it was nice reading all the driver quotes on the circuit because you know they were saying just how much of a challenge it was. You know, Ricardo saying it left him breathless in quali- you know at qualifying speed on Saturday. Um, so yeah, I it, I think everything Lawrence said is right. I think something like Mugello is a good blueprint. If we can't go back there, we need to start. F one needs to start looking at circuits like that that punish punish mistakes that drivers make, especially. Um, and I think it was an interesting comparison because last week we had. We kept seeing such a great corner at Monza, the Parabolica, that's kind of had all of the all of the mystique of that corner has pretty much gone with that massive runoff area. And drivers would rather there used to be a gravel trap there, you know, and, and that used to if 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 you didn't need track limits, because if you went over the track limits of Parabolica, you ended up in the gravel or you ended up in the wall. So it was a nice comparison seeing that and seeing a circuit like Magello. And like Lawrence said, those gravel traps really punish drivers and, and mean that you have to be on the exact, on right on the limit like George Russell was in qualifying and see if you get away with it. And hopefully, it, you know, I know the drivers are having these ongoing discussions with the FIA behind closed doors. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that that might be what comes out of Magello, not another race there, but kind of a, a push and more evidence that we need those circuits that, that actually punish the drivers for stuff like that. Because ultimately, they want that as well. They don't want these runoff areas. They want gravel traps and stuff. So It was exciting. It was a very exciting day. And of course, I know, like I said, Nate's still got a story to come out. Lawrence is working on one. Lawrence just has to get home, man. It's late here in London. But we definitely don't regret any of it at all because it was yet another eventful weekend in Formula One. We have a little bit of a break now, but we will still be providing content for you both on this podcast as well as the ESPN website, just ESPN.com slash F1. Make sure to look out for, I'm sure, some breaking news that will be coming because we have been treated to some juicy stories over the last two weeks. So make sure to tune into that and look out for another edition of our ESPN Formula One podcast. And it's bye for now. Bye.